Hey everybody, uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really glad that you're here. Uh, welcome those of you who are worshiping at Highland Square, at Restoration Chapel, or in East Hall, or here in the sanctuary, the Hudson campus, or just tuning in, welcome. All right, hope everybody's getting ready for Christmas. One of the ways that we get ready for Christmas as a church is that we blanket this area with acts of kindness and generosity just because. And I love this time of year and every weekend leading up to Christmas because I, I get to read the stories that come flowing in from what you're doing and how it's impacting people. And then I get to read a few of those stories for you each week. So here are the just because stories for this week. This is from Jeff in Northfield. He says, uh, last Sunday we picked up our just because cards at the Hudson campus. I set a goal for our family of six this year of 10 good deeds. On the way home from church, we asked our girls for their ideas of how to reach this goal. Our five-year-old daughter, Francesca, said she'd like to give a Christmas tree to a family that couldn't afford one. The next day, my wife posted a message on a community Facebook page asking if anyone knew of a family we could help. By midweek, we had six pre-cut trees in our driveway and people donating ornaments to go along with them. We found homes for all the trees and sent along letters from our girls along with Just Because cards. We are so proud to be members of this amazing church and to have our children learn these selfless acts of kindness early on. Thank you for helping us spread love and pay it forward. It's very cool. All right, here's one from Mason from Kent. I was at lunch in school and I got some burritos and I asked if I could have some fries and they said it was a dollar so I was depressed for a second and then this girl named Jess came to me and said how much are those fries and me and the lunch lady said a dollar and she bought them and gave them to me. I wanted to read that one just because I think it's amazing uh, that our students are doing this at school and that when our student did it at school this other student took the time to get on the website and say how much it meant. So, all right, last one. I stopped by Jersey Mike's to grab a sandwich for lunch after working out. An amazing thing happened. A man stepped in front of me and paid for my sandwich. I was overwhelmed. It may have been the best thing to happen to me in my whole life. <laughs> it's a day I will never forget for the rest of my life. That's from Joe in Hudson. That, that was me. <laughs> All right, well, I may have overstated that it was the best day of my life, but it, it did make my day. That was very cool. So uh, grab cards, have fun, uh, make somebody's day. If you see me out there around town, it can, I'm always available. I want to make my day. All right. Uh, this is the last sermon series of the year. And our year has been transformed in 2018, so it's fitting that we should end with a Christmas series that we are calling The Night When Everything Changed. The Night When Everything Changed. Uh, originally, I wanted to call this A Baby Changes Everything, because there's nothing that changes you more than when you have a baby, especially your first baby. I remember seeing a comedian uh, talk about decision-making before a baby and after a baby. He said, before a baby comes into your life, you can make decisions like that fast. And he said, you can say, honey, you want to go out tonight? And she says, yes, you just grab your coats, open the door, you're out. 
once you have a baby, nothing happens that fast. And that's true. It doesn't. And then the, have you seen the equipment that, you know, goes along with kids now? I was in an airport and saw a young family. It seemed like they were traveling with more equipment than a, a circus used to travel with. It's just crazy. But we, we decided against that because it wasn't just a baby that changed the world. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. Uh, I'm going to read uh, the two narrative stories that are in Scripture. You know, there are four Gospels, but only two tell us anything about the birth of Jesus, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. And you know that there's more to the story than just Mary and Joseph and Jesus. There's Zacharias and Elizabeth with John the Baptist. There's Herod. They're the wise men. They're the shepherds. There's an old man named Simeon. There's an old woman named Anna. There's an, an inn, so there must have been an innkeeper. So there are all these sub-stories. But let me read these two passages, and then we'll get into the story of Mary and Joseph. I love these passages. So just sit back and listen as I read about the birth of Jesus. This is how Matthew describes it. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did just as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is how Luke writes it. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration while, when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is God's word. And it's true. And if this is true about the birth of Jesus, then that really was a night when everything changed. I want to focus on how it changed Mary and Joseph. And I think it changed Mary and Joseph in three ways. One, it, the birth of Jesus changed the way they saw God. The birth of Jesus changed the way they saw themselves. And then finally, it changed the way they understood what it meant to be saved. Changed the way they saw God, changed the way they saw themselves, changed the way they understood what it meant to be saved. First, it changed the way they saw God. Joseph and Mary grew up with a town, in a town with a synagogue and with Jerusalem with a temple. And they would go to the synagogue to learn about God, and then they would go to the temple to worship God. So every Sabbath, every Saturday, they would head to the synagogue to learn about God, and then a couple of times a year, they would make the trek to Jerusalem to worship Him. And when they were in the synagogue, they would learn different things about God, and they probably learned what it says in Psalm 139 about God. This is what it says. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. They learn that God is everywhere, right? The theological term for that is omnipresent. But sometimes theological terms are just theory, and it's not the way we really experience it, because the way they experienced God is they felt like they would go to Him, they would go to the synagogue, and that's when they would learn about Him. They would go to the temple, and that's when they would, when they would worship Him. But something happened when Jesus was born, because it says this, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When they had this baby, they knew they were to name him Jesus, but they were also told he had another name. And that name was Emmanuel, God with us. And what that meant 
was that when Joseph and Mary had Jesus, and scholars think that it was probably a cave, not really a, you know, a stable, but they had that baby, and they wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and they laid him in a manger. But when they brought him home, when they brought them, him into their home, they were bringing God right into their home. And, of course, their house was not like, I don't know, a Hudson house where you can be watching Netflix downstairs with the baby monitor and the baby's in some other room somewhere on a different floor. Joseph and Mary, their, their, their house wasn't nearly as big as this stage. So there's no way to, no, no place to go to escape the baby. If, if you've ever been in a hotel room with a baby, you know what that feels like. There's, there's nowhere to go. That's what began to change in their understanding of God. It used to be that they could go to God when they wanted to go to God. But all of a sudden, God had invaded their space and was with them. You know, I, I tell you, time to time, that every morning I spend time with God, right? I, I sit in the same chair and have the same lamp, and I, I spend time, it's my time with Him. And then I get up and I walk away. You can't do that with a baby. You can't schedule your time with the baby and just say, I'm going to spend, you know, half hour, 40 minutes with the baby, and then I'll just put the baby down and I'll go my way. And it, may not even think about the baby again all day. So all of a sudden, their whole understanding of God began to change. And that theory of omnipresence became something more than a theory. But it wasn't just omnipresence. It wasn't like, um, you know, Amazon Echo with uh, Alexa. Which, you know, she's just always there. She's just creepy. Right? Now, when they brought Jesus into their home as Emmanuel, God with us, they brought him there not just as someone who would be omnipresent. They brought him there as someone who would have relationship. The biggest change in their understanding of God was that God had come into their lives. He had invaded their lives for this relationship. Because something happens when you hold a baby and you look into your baby's face and that baby looks back at you, there's something that happens to your heart. And if you've ever held your baby, you know. I remember reading somewhere where it said, if you want to learn how to love something, get a dog. But if you want to give your heart away and never get it back, have a baby. If you want to give your heart away and never get it back, have a baby. Just think about that for a moment. You know, I had all kinds of epiphanies as I was studying for this particular message, but this was one of them. Why do you think Jesus came as a baby? He didn't have to. You know, he could have just kind of airdropped in at 30 years old and done his ministry and his healing and all that, gone to the cross, died on the cross, resurrected, everything's the same. Why did he come as a baby? Maybe it's because God wants a relationship with you and with me that's much more like the relationship that Mary and Joseph had with Jesus. Where you... you you find yourself giving your heart away to him and, and he gives part of his heart to you. Because there's something about a, the way a baby loves the parents that feels different than any other love. So this baby invades Joseph and Mary's house, but it's not just a baby, it's Emmanuel, God with 
them, and that changed the way they saw God. Now, Jesus was a different kind of human being, right? You know, Jesus grew up as a different kind of adult. And when I say that, what I mean is that there were different things that Jesus did. In Matthew chapter 8, as an, as an adult, Jesus has a leper come to him, and, he, and the leper says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus had healed people by speaking, but this time he reaches out and he touches the leper, and everybody around must have gasped because you don't want to touch a leper. That's the way you get leprosy. But Jesus touched him, and when Jesus touched him, it wasn't the leper who was the one who infected Jesus, but Jesus was the one who gave health to the leper. There was something different about Jesus and I would, I would assume that, that his parents saw it when he was a child, right? When, when Jesus was a child, you know, everybody looks at their baby, at their, at their kids, and they think, oh, my, my child, you, you, oh, as grandparents, you really do. They're very, very bright. Oh, I don't know. My, my grandkids, they're so bright, right? Everyone thinks that their kids are special. But if you look at your child, and they really are special, like I was talking to a, uh, a young man who grew up in this church and he's super musically gifted. I mean, he, he earns his living by playing the piano now, but he plays like six instruments. And uh, anything he can hear, he can play. And I remember asking him one time, how long does it take you to learn a song? And he said, uh, you mean to learn the words or to learn how to play it? And I said, learn how to play it. And he said, I don't know maybe uh, five minutes? <laughs> because if he can hear it, he can play it. And I said to him, uh, when did you realize that you were a better piano player than your piano teacher? And he thought for a second, he said, mm, when I was five? It's one thing to look at your child and see them as a musical savant. It's another thing to look at your child and realize they are righteous altogether. And when Mary and Joseph looked at Jesus, they had to begin to realize early on that there was something different about this child. And it wasn't his musical ability, it was that he was righteous through and through. And that brings me to the second big change. Because it didn't just change the way that they saw God as someone who had come into, was, was no longer far away, but had come into their lives for relationship with them. But it changed the way they saw themselves. I always think uh, self-image is a curious thing. right? Because your self-image isn't how you really are, it's how you think you are. Right? My self-image isn't what I am, it's, it's kind of how I view myself, what I think I am. And I always think, it, you know, this time of year we take a lot of pictures, and I, I'm always, always cracks me up how we prepare for photos and then how we respond to photos. Right? We prepare, we want to look, you know, our very best, and then, you know, the picture's taken. If there's a group picture, you know, you pass it around and people look at it, and they just want to see them. They just want to see themselves. They look at everybody else and go, oh, you guys look great. You guys look great. Oh, I don't look very good. 
You know, it's like, it's because you don't look the way you want to look. And we always want to look our best, but even that's not even true. I I want to look better than my best. I always want to look taller than I am. I feel like I'm, you know, height deprived because my my son's like 6'3", my son-in-law's like 6'5". You know, if, I, if I'm ever photoed, you know, they ever take a picture and I'm on the downslope, I look like a midget. So I'm always trying to look taller. I want to look thinner. I want to look younger. I want to look more dashing. Why? It's the human condition. Human condition. I think having Jesus in your home as a child was a wonderful thing in many ways. Imagine having a, a child that never went through the terrible twos let alone the terrible teens. They would obey you all the time. It would just be a delight to have in your home. But I also think that Jesus, after a while, would do a number on your self-image. Because there are some people that can make you feel bad about yourself just by being them. They don't try. They don't say anything. Healthy eaters do that to me sometimes. It's somebody who's, who's really in shape or somebody who's just really nice. There's people who love, you usually cut you some slack. Like I, I got a ticket, a traffic ticket not too long ago. I was coming to church early in the morning. It was raining. And I could see that uh, I, could, I could make a light. I could make the arrow. But I needed to get in the middle lane way before I was supposed to. You know, and so I jumped into the middle lane, you know, before it allows you to go over there, and I just zoomed up, and, I, and the good news is I made the light. The bad news is it cost me $167, right? But the people I would tell about that were always people that I would pick, and they would say, oh, you know, I did, you know, this is what happened. And they would always go, oh, that's too bad. I'm sorry, And they weren't saying, I'm sorry that you're not a better driver. They weren't saying, I'm sorry you don't make better decisions early in the morning. They were saying, I'm sorry because, oh, you shouldn't have gotten a ticket. You know, they should have better things to do than to give poor you a ticket. Because they can relate. They can relate to making a mistake driving. They can relate to making a poor decision. They can relate just like they can relate to acting poorly at a sporting event or telling an off-color joke or saying something unkind or a hundred other things. But Jesus couldn't relate to any of that. So I think having Jesus in their home was a wonderful and terrible thing for the exact same reason. Because there was a purity about Jesus that would make them go, oh, That's wonderful, but there was a purity about Jesus that would show the dinginess and the stains on them that they never knew were there until Jesus came and was with them. So the first big change that happened when Jesus came into their lives was that it changed the way they saw God. God was no longer far away. God was no longer somebody they could pick and choose when to spend time with. God was somebody who invaded their lives but also captured their hearts in relationship but also changed the way they saw themselves. 
because the purity of Jesus would show the dinginess and the stains in their own lives. And that brings me to the third big change. It changed the way that they understood what it meant to be saved. It changed the way of what, uh, of what it meant to be saved. And this is what I mean by that. Uh, Israel was under the iron boot of Rome in the first century. They were a conquered nation, which meant that they paid Roman taxes, they had a Roman governor, and they obeyed Roman authority. If you were uh, a citizen of Rome in the Roman Empire, it was a great place to be. But if you were one of the conquered nations, it could be kind of harsh. And every Jewish person knew the promises in the Old Testament for a Messiah, that someone was going to come in the line of David to save them. And it just made sense to everybody that when, it, when the Bible talked about sending a Messiah to save them, it would save, he would save them from Rome, from the oppression of Rome, from being victimized by Rome. And until Jesus came into their home, that was Joseph and Mary's deepest wish to be saved from something out there, saved from their circumstances. And then Jesus comes and it says this in verse 21, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. This Jesus would come into the world in the first century and he would turn their understanding of salvation upside down. Because almost everybody, if I ask anybody and I say, what would you want for God to do to you to change your life? Almost everybody thinks, oh, if he would change these circumstances, if he would change out there, that's the best change that could happen. And then Jesus comes and he says, I did not come to change out there. I came to change in here. And the very best thing that can happen to you is not a change outside of you, but a change inside of you. And almost everybody thinks, oh no, if I'm a victim, then I need to be set free like this. But you can only be set free as a victim if something happens to the one who's making you a victim. And so often when that happens, the tables are switched and you just get more power. And that's what really the first century Jews wanted. They wanted more power than Rome. They wanted, you know how when, when Cinderella becomes the queen, then the evil stepmother gets, becomes homeless. That's what always happens. But here Jesus says, no, that's not what I came to do. Because your, problems, your biggest problem isn't that you're a victim. Your biggest problem is that you're a sinner and you need to be forgiven. And so Jesus came to save his people from their sins. And the very first people to know that were Joseph and Mary. So Joseph and Mary go through this with the, the night Jesus was born. Everything changed for them. It changed the way they saw God. No longer God is being far away, but God coming close. And not coming close 
for anything other than just relationship. He wanted their heart. He wanted to give them theirs. He wanted to give them a piece of his heart. It changed the way they saw themselves because of Jesus' purity and his goodness and his righteousness. It began to show them what they were really like and changed their image of themselves. And then finally, it changed the way they understood what it meant to be saved. Because the very best change for them wouldn't be something that would be outside of them, but be something inside of them. Listen. When we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, it probably means more than you think. It's God calling you to have those same three changes. Calling you to have the change in your understanding of him and that it wouldn't just become theory, it'd become experience where he actually comes into your life and you begin to experience what it means to have a relationship with him through Jesus. It'll change the way you see yourself because you'll finally be able to see yourself as you really are, not the way you want to be, not better than you really are, but the way you, re- you really are. And of course, then that moves you to your understanding of what it means to be saved. And that the biggest change, the very best change that could happen to any of us is not something that is outside of us in our circumstances, but it's inside of you inside of you in being forgiven of your sins. And those three changes have the power to change everything about you starting today. Starting today. It's a night when everything changed for Joseph and Mary, for you and me, transformed. 2018. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, uh, thank you for not just being someone who is far away, who we uh, can pick and choose when to spend time with, but you have come to us as Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus offers himself to us. And as he does, he wants us to give him our heart and for you to give us a piece of yours. Thank you for your desire for relationship. Thanks for showing us the truth about ourselves. But more than anything, thanks for sending us a Savior who would save us from our sins and set us free. Thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name, our Savior. Amen. All right, well, we are going to close with worship, well, both here in the sanctuary and over in East Hall. And as we do, we just, I just want you to let this sink in. There is something absolutely wonderful about worshiping a God who is Emmanuel, God with us. And then after we finish worship, uh, we're going to close the service And our prayer team will be up front. If you're going through something, and sometimes the holiday seasons are the hardest times, please don't go through it alone. Not here. But 
make your way forward. They would love to meet with you, to pray with you, to love you. All right? Thanks. Let's close with worship. Would you please stand?